does give a really good talk. And um, I've talked with him on the phone. He's always very kind. And having met him, I can see him personally. He is very kind. So with that, I'll give you Stu B. from Severna Park, Maryland. And his home group is Severna Park Early Birds. Meets Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. If you ever get there, go see him. My name is Stu. I'm an alcoholic. That's beautiful. Love that enthusiasm. I think you've been sober for a while and you don't have that enthusiasm. Somewhere you've missed something. It is not endurance contest. It's not a place where you just come hang in here. It's the joy of good living. And I'm convinced that you can find that if you stay sober. I want to thank Shelly for inviting me to uh, participate here. First time I've been in this area to share that conference. And uh, I don't get a chance to do it that often anymore. But uh, I'm very excited about being here. I can, I can relate a lot to you. I got sober at a young age. It may not look it today, but um, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 23 years of age, did a little research work for a couple years, and I finally got sober when I was 25 and I'm 53 now. So I'm in my 28th year of sobriety day at a time. To... <laughs> through the grace of God, not through the grace of Stu. It's amazing I'm speaking to Stuart Hall. My name is STU, so it's, uh, it's neat being here. And you know, we, were, we uh, went to dinner earlier tonight, and we were doing some sharing about um, when I first came to AA, there was no, like, young people at the meetings. Uh, my home group is the Runner Park Early Birds. I noticed a lot of you people have an accent down here. I, I'm from the East Coast. And uh, we talk a little fast back on the East Coast. And uh, when I got sober, I had a speech impediment. And I also, uh, I stuttered, had a, like a list to me when I spoke. And I found by speaking fast, it just, it doesn't happen that much. And um, so a lot of time when you go way down south, get around Louisville or so, uh, they talk a little slower down there. And they listen a little slower. So they take guys like me and they tape us in 45, play us back in 33 and 30 and see what the hell we said while we were there. But when I got sober and started coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, there weren't many young people in AA back in the 60s. I mean, they'd came, but very few stayed. And uh, after I got sober for a while, all the old drunks in AA, like me today, would dump all the young drunks on me and say, you work with them, you can identify more with them, relate with them, and you take them to meetings. And the very first question almost every young guy would ask is, where in the hell's all the young people around here? Now, I, I know we're talking about living a program that demands rigorous honesty, a way of life that demands rigorous honesty, but I would say uh, I, I had to romance the truth a little bit. I said, they're on the other side of town. Uh, we'll go over there, and they're at a meeting on Tuesday night on the other side of town. And we'd go over there. There's no young people on the other side of town. And we'd go over there and say, well, where are they at? I said, they must be in the southern part of the city. We'll go to the southern part two nights from now. Maybe they'll be there. And all I was trying to do was buy them a little bit of time. Now, I'll tell you what's fascinating about Alcoholics Anonymous as the years have gone by. You go to meetings like this, and there's so many young people in Alcoholics Anonymous today, it's unbelievable. My home group, over half the people in my home group are probably under 35 years of age, and it's a big group. We meet, like I said, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning, and there might be 75 to 80 people in my home group, and the, over half of them are young. And I was working with a couple old guys a couple years ago, and these guys were in their 70s. And 
I started taking on the meetings. You know the first thing they say? Where the hell's all the old people at around here? I said, they're on the other side of town. And I love the thing about just being young at heart. You're as old as you want to be. Age is state of mind. I live with an old man. I, 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 uh, a few years ago, I was living with an old man in AA. Uh, I went through a divorce, and I was living with this old guy in AA, and uh, he was 73 years old. And I lived with him for a couple of years, and we had a great relationship. He was a uh, widower. And um, he, this man, Bill, was like a father to me. And then I bought a house, I moved out, and he got lonely, so he started going to these dances. He met a gal there, and uh, she was 51. And so he said, I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. I said, my God, you're 73, she's 51. That's 22 years difference in your age. What the hell, Bill? I said, that could be fatal. He said, hell, whether she dies, she dies. <laughs> so they got married. They've been married now about three years. And um, he went to Cancun on his honeymoon, went parasailing, and he plays golf three days a week. He's a nutrition. He gives lectures on nutrition. And he's very excited, enthusiastic about life, and that's how I am. I'm excited about being sober. I love being sober. Getting sober has been the greatest thing that's happened to me in my entire life. Everything I have near and dear to me today is due to the fact I'm sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. And without it, I don't have anything. And all you can do is look at the record. The first time I came there, I didn't get sober. The second time I came, I finally got sober. It's sort of like my little girl. When she was six years old, she started the first grade. Went to school. Very first day in school, she came home. I said, how'd you make out today? She said, not too good, Dad. I got to go back again tomorrow. A <laughs> is the same way. You know, we come here, we may not make out too good the first time, but we got to keep coming back. And if we keep coming back, things will take time. If you do the possible, God will do the impossible. You'll eventually, hopefully, you get sober. If not, you're going to die. And for me to stand around thinking about being sober, I love being sober. And for me to think about thinking about taking a drink tonight, I'm not going to go out and get a buzz on. I'm not going to go out and get locked up. I'm not going to go. I'm going to die. I got to look at this as a life and death situation. You know, we're not playing games with this stuff. If you don't think so, you stay sober long enough, you'll see guys and gals you got sober with fight for the right to take a drink, and you're going to watch them die. We're talking about a disease that needs to be treated on a daily basis. It never takes a vacation. It never goes away. It's always there. We're talking about constant vigilance in our recovery. So I've got to keep the guard up. You can get a ring with a champion and beat him to hell for 14 rounds. You drop your guard in the 15th round, he's going to knock you out. You can't get complacent. Learn to relax and enjoy sobriety. Stay around there long enough, let the miracle start happening to you. I didn't drink that long. I only drank for a period of approximately 10 years. I never had my, by today's standards, and by standards of some people in this room, I was a late bloomer. I didn't have my first drink. I was almost 15 years old. But the very first time I drank, I got drunk. The very first time I got drunk, I made a fool out of myself. I went to a party. I'm sitting in the back of a 1949 Mercury in the back seat with two bottles of Madeira port wine. Now, I don't know how much my first ice cream cost. I don't know how much my first bottle of Pepsi-Cola cost. But that first bottle of wine cost 72 cents. <laughs> that 72 cents did more for me than all the Kool-Aid, Pepsi-Cola, iced tea, anything I've had in my whole life. I mean, I'm like a lion in a cage, and I took that booze and put it into me. Man, I come alive. I'm one of these guys who's a wallflower at a, at a school dance. If my school teacher in high school would say, come up in front of the class and give, do a presentation, give a report, or I'm going oh, to fail you, I said, hell, it would fail me. 
I couldn't stand in front of a group of people and talk, things like this. So I'm in the back seat of this 1949 Mercury going to a party. I don't want to be in the back seat. I started drinking. You know what I want to be? I want to be in the front seat. I want to get in that front seat, step by the window, and put my arm over the window, and lean it down so it looks like you got a muscle when you're 15, you know what I mean? <laughs> I want to talk to the girls. But they said, no, you're little. You stay in the back. Went to this party, passed out, threw up over myself. I leaned out a window to throw up. I fell out a window. <laughs> Thank God I was only on the second floor and I fell on a big pile of gravel below. I would have probably broke my neck. They told me the next thing, the day, the things I said and did, I couldn't remember. I had my first blackout the first time I drank. And, you know, I got sick as a dog. The next day I drank ice water and got drunk all over I felt like. I was sick again. And yet, you know what, I found something in there that just drove me to go back and look for it over and over and over again. I drank because it made me feel good. I thought the world looked better through rose-colored glasses. You know, I lived in a fantasy world most of the time when I wasn't drinking. I tried to make those fantasies become realities when I started drinking. It gave me the courage I never had, the confidence I never had. I love to drink. I hear these old guys in A sometime talk about, they said, you know, I drank for 30 years. I'm at my first meeting. Some old guys said, I drank for 30 years. I'm thinking, damn, I wish I could have drank for 30 years. I felt like I got cheated. I got shortchanged, burnt out in 10 years. Damn, he was lucky. And then I heard another guy say, in my hometown, he said, the bars are open at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm saying, damn, I wish I could have lived in that town. My town, they closed at 2. I lost two hours of good drinking time here. I always felt sorry for myself. Got cheated. First time I came there, yeah, I heard all these war stories. The guys say, well, we slept under the bridge. I never slept under the bridge. I thought maybe I should say I slept under the bridge so I feel like I belong here. Make up some stories. They say, you keep drinking, you'll have your own stories. You don't have to make up no stories. The worst story you're ever going to hear in AA is not mine tonight. The worst story you're ever going to hear in Alcoholics Anonymous is your story when you tell it. Because you've lived it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. I can relate and identify with you, but I lived my own story. My own pain is my own pain. But it's been exciting. So I drank every time I could after that. I came from a home, one of seven kids. Neither one of my parents drank or smoked. My father had a drink occasionally. Maybe he's had a dozen drinks his whole entire life. I got cocky when I got my 20-year chip. We get chips up, up, my, up my way. I got my 20-year chip, and I went home, and I told my father, I said, look at that, Dad, 20 years in AA. He said, big deal. Your mother ain't had a drink in 69 years. <laughs> he said, come on back, 49 years, we'll talk about it. My mother's never had a drink. There's just no drinking in my family. All my brothers and sisters never had a drinking or drug problem. I got two kids to this day. Neither of my kids have a drinking or drug problem. So I don't know whether I try to make up a whole damn family or what happened. But I took the drinking like a duck takes the water. I became a daily drinker by the time I was 15 years of age. Now you talk about trying to hide a bottle around the house? Try to hide a 15-year-old wild drunk around your house one time. I get drunk every day, but I drank. I had access to it. The kid I ran around with, his parents were in a bar, and we would steal it out of there. 
They got access to getting in the back and stealing it. My father was in business, and businessmen would give him all kind of liquor and booze, and he would just put it up on a shelf, and I'd sneak behind there and start working on the back rows. And I had all kind of booze. I was always drinking. I loved to drink. I'd drink anything, too, anywhere, anytime. And then when I heard these old guys talking about drinking 30 years, I come in AA, I'm thinking, well, maybe I didn't drink long enough being an alcoholic. It ain't how long you drink makes you an alcoholic. Some guys and gals only drank a little while. My sponsor said, you know, he, he talked to some of these people, he said, you know, if you think you're a little bit alcoholic because you only drank a little bit of time, that's like being a little bit pregnant. Okay? No such thing. Either you is or you ain't. Whether you're one month pregnant or nine months pregnant, you're still pregnant. So the game of numbers, you got to get them out of your head. It ain't how long you drank or what you drank. It's what the hell happens to you when you do drink. I sponsored a 19-year-old boy one time. And he said, I'm not that bad yet. And he, and he fought for his right to drink, and he kept on drinking. 19 years old. I got to drink till I was 25. His father calls me up 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, I just went down to jail and cleaned my son's body. hung himself in a jail cell, 19 years old. He wasn't that bad yet. Hey, we're the lucky ones that get here. You know most guys and gals don't get the Alcoholics Anonymous, and then when they do get here, a hell of a lot of them don't stay here. And if you don't think so, think about the guys and gals you got sober with over the years. Like I came into class in 66 when I got sober. March the 12th, 1966 is my sobriety date. So I was in like the class of 66. There was a lot of us guys and gals came to AA in 1966 in my town and got sober. I'm the only one still sober in that town who got sober that year, who still goes to AA. And the rest of them are gone. And you stay here, and you're going to watch guys and gals go to the wayside as you go down the road of recovery. If you're in a room with 100 people, and 99 of them's got to get drunk in that room, hope the hell they make it back, you ain't. You ain't got to get it up here. You got to get it down here in your guts where you live. That I don't care what happens, I'm not going to take a drink, period. I don't care how bad it gets, I don't care how good it gets, I'm not drinking. Now, A is more than a night drink program. But that's the most important thing you're ever going to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. You stay sober. Over these years, I'll tell you what, I've had a tremendous amount of success. I've had a tremendous amount of setbacks, disappointment, heartaches, mistakes. But this program will meet you at the level of your need. It will help you get through anything, through good things or bad things. It's going to help you stay sober a day at a time. You don't have to get drunk no matter what happens. You can stay sober. So here I am, this punk drunk, I'm drinking all the time. We're talking about sex education in schools today. Hell, we had it in my high school. We called it recess. Yeah. I got a son 35 years old. I became a father while I was in high school. Got married when I was 17 years old. Most people don't get married when they're 17, that's one of two reasons. Somebody's crazy or pregnant. Hell, we were a little bit of both. So I got a son, 35. I got a grandson. He did the same thing I did. Except he didn't drink. He graduated in high school on a Thursday. His wife had a baby on a Saturday. I became a grandfather, 36 years old. I got a grandson, 17. Hell, I could be a great-grandfather any day now if he keeps up the old the pattern. But that's all, it's nifty to be 50. Ain't nothing wrong. I was kidding Joe at, at dinner tonight. Hell, age is state of mind. You're as old as you want to be. I know guys 35, burnt out. And we're just charging, man. So I drank all the time. And when you drank like I drank, I was an action drunk. I like to drink in bars. I like to drink around a lot of people. I'm a party guy. 
live fast, die young, and be a handsome corpse. That was my philosophy of life. <laughs> if I make 25, I'll make 100. I don't know if I'm going to make 25. Anyway, I made 25, I got an AA. I, 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 just, you know, we're talking about day. I lived a day at a time when I drank. Let it all hang out. I was fascinated with those bars. God, talk about thinking, drinking. When I get sober, I can tell you every bar from my house to my job. I could tell you the barmaid's name. I could probably tell you their measurement. I could tell you what's on the jukebox. I could tell you about the pool tables, the shuffleboards, the dance floors, the bands, what they had on tap. I couldn't tell you nothing about the donut shops, the churches, the, the schools. I didn't know they had those things around. You know what I mean? I just <laughs> drinking all the time. I see a lot of you smoke. I don't smoke. I tried smoking when I was drinking. But I got tired of setting myself on fire. <laughs> You got to give up something, you give up smoking. I passed out one time, one fell on my chest, broke my chest. I, I didn't know how to smoke good and drink. I was riding down a highway one time, I had a cigarette hanging out of my mouth. I saw a guy on the movies one time, he looked cool with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, drinking out of a can of beer. I don't like me, so I'm going to be cool and drink like him, look like him, and drink a can of beer and drink smoke cigarettes. But I'm doing this riding down the road in a car. So I got this cigarette hanging down out of my mouth, can of beer, and I'm steering the car. Now, I never saw it in the movie. I didn't see what he did with the ashes on the end of the cigarette. And the ashes are getting longer and longer. And I'm riding down the road, and I don't want to set the beer down because it might spill. So I just go, Poof. And I blew the flame off and went up my nose. Burnt the hell out of my nose. Look, I had a booger hanging out of my nose for about a month. Had a scab hanging down there. I said, how was smoking? That smoke's going to kill me. <laughs> Just drink. Just drink. I drink and drive. I get drink and I get taillights in my eyes. I got to travel. I got to drive. I got to, I got to, even today, I don't like to go to, you know what? I don't even like to go, even, I've been sober long, I don't even like to go to sleep early now. I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. I still, I'm still a night owl. I'm, I'm afraid, hell, I might wake up and be all over, be gone. I don't want to miss nothing. And so I end up traveling, drinking, partying, getting married, a lot of responsibilities. And I use that for an excuse to drink. I said, if you got married when you were 17, you drank too. All this responsibility on my own. I look at 17-year-old kids, I'm thinking, I look that stupid. Yeah, I did. Couldn't believe it. A couple of years, another year later, had another child. That child died two months later. I used that excuse. If your daughter died, wouldn't you drink? You had all these responsibilities. I couldn't get a good job because I had to drop out of high school my senior year. So I got a job on a waterfront out of Baltimore City, working down there, Stevedore and Longshoreman, working in a factory, worked as a mold maker in a glass plant. Got involved with these guys. We ran some fences and dealt with some hot goods down on the waterfront. We on and dealing, loan sharking. It was against the law back in those days to lend $5 out today and collect six Friday. And now the government doesn't even think it's okay. They try to put us in jail for it. It's just crazy. But I live that kind of life. And when you live that kind of life, I found, you know, if you move a lot, it's cheaper to move and pay rent. I used to move a lot when I was drinking. Some guys buy a house and stay there for 100 years. I've seen houses I bought, I moved into houses I never bought them, I rent them. I wouldn't even stay there a week. I got in trouble with the police department in the county, so I moved to the city. I moved to these row houses. 
You can run a whole house in Baltimore City for $17 a week. I come home drunk, saw a sign that went across the street, house for rent, $16. I moved across the street, save a dollar. I moved seven, eight times a year. Cheaper moving, pay rent, just keep moving. I moved so much, my boss told me to get a post office box. He started changing my address. And I, I'm not knocking anybody in this room, but, you know, I was raised in a nice home, a nice family. But I started living in these real dumps, roach-infested. I'm not talking about the kind of smoke. I'm talking about the little animals with, a, with things up on their head. Hell, you living in roach-infested houses at nighttime. You, I was working down the factory, and at nighttime, you put your work clothes on the next morning, and they get up on your collar, get in your shoes, get in your lunch bag. You go to work, you're like this. One of them's on your collar. I was at work one day, and a guy's looking at me real funny. I'm looking down. I got one of them sticking his head out of his pocket. It's going like that, time, you know? Hell, I wait have to live. I live like that. You get the gas on that, you shut off in them row houses. You know what you do? You just run an extension cord out your kitchen window and run it down a wall, run it in the neighbor's window and plug it in and keep a lamp refrigerator going and pay the difference on his bill. That's all. It's no big deal. You learn to make adjustments to life out there. That's what you learn to do. Yeah, we didn't go fishing. You know how you fish in a city? You go rat fishing. You get a fishing pole and put a hook on it and put a piece of cheese on it and throw it in the alley and try to catch a rat. Call rat fishing. So you have all kind of nice stuff to do in the cities like that when you're drinking. How a boy to have to live it. That's how I lived. And then it got bad. I moved out of the city back to the county. Started living in these abandoned summer homes. People in the city had a few extra dollars. They'd buy these shore homes, these summer homes, down on the water. And they go down and spend the summer. Kids are out of school, they spend the summer down there. Fall comes, they move back to the city. When they move back to the city, I move in their house. No insulation, summer home. I'd board up the windows by the water, put a kerosene stove in there, use it so the pipes froze and then have started carrying water from the neighbors. I'm at it like hell. I mean, that's how I lived. I drug a family. Two, we had another child a couple years later. Drug two kids through this stuff, too. And finally, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. In 1964, I came off of a bed drunk. I was 23, not quite 24. And I just reached the point I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Man, I'm a loser. I ride down a highway and I see some guy and his wife and, and, and they're riding down the highway and the kids are jumping up and down in the back seat of the car and, and, and I'm, I'm by myself and I'm thinking, man, why can't that be me? Well, I'm walking through a neighborhood and I look in a window of a house and there's a family in there having dinner and sitting around watching television and kids are playing and I'm living in an abandoned summer home with electricity cut off. Got a kerosene lamp in there. I'm thinking, why can't that be me? And the reason was it's because I was drinking, that's why. So I reached this point that I'm sick and tired of this. I can't live like this no more. I don't want to bore you. I've been locked up. I get, I, I, I get drinking. I, I feel like I grow a foot tall and I put on 100 pounds. I want to play King Kong. I've been locked up for assault and police officers, resisting arrest, disorderly conduct. No long time in jail, weekends, stuff like that. Always had either my parents or the union or somebody get me out of it. You have to live like that. That's, that's, that's a, I mean, that's how I lived. I wasn't raised like this. And it all happens when I drink. Proofs in the pudding, don't drink. And you know, these things ain't been happening. So I'm on this bed drunk. I'm thinking about committing suicide. I'm thinking about killing myself. I'm thinking, hell, I probably can't even do that right. Thinking about maybe pulling this car and driving, pulling it in front of a tractor trailer or something, make it look like a bad accident. I'll get killed and my family get insurance money or something. I didn't have the courage. 
And I saw myself attracted to a little church on the side of the road. I'd never been in that church before in my entire life. I didn't know nothing. I didn't know what kind of church it was. That's why I'm sober through the grace of God. I went to that little church, and I talked to the preacher. And the little preacher says, I sat down at a table. I took pride of being tough. See, big guys don't cry. Tough guys don't cry. You get the hell of out and you pull yourself off the floor, but you don't cry. You don't give up. You don't quit. You take your beating. You've never been beat up good. You ain't been good and drunk yet. You ain't been drinking in the right kind of places. You get so drunk, somebody does a, a coat trick on you, flip your jacket over, and you're like this. You can't move. You'll meet your master. So anyway, I, I never cry in front of nobody. And here I put my head on the table in front of this little preacher, and I start crying. And I said, man, I don't know what to do. I got all these marriage problems. I got financial problems. I'm ready to lose my job. I got... He said, you got a lot of problems, but your biggest problem is you're drinking. Now, I can't help you. He said, i got a member of my congregation who's a member of AA. Maybe this guy can help you. I didn't know no more about AA than I do hitting a hockey puck, and I never hit one. At that time, I was ready to do what I think about anything. He said, let me call this man and let him talk to you and take you to a meeting, and maybe he can help you out. And once you get your drinking straightened out, we can get these other problems straightened out. Right now, you got the cart in front of the horse. you got a lot of problems but because you're drinking. You think you're drinking because you got the problem, but you got the problem because you're drinking. If you stop drinking, you may not have all these problems. And just try it. And I met Larry and went to my first day meeting, 23 years old. Went in a room like, like everybody was 100 years old and all had white hair, if they had any hair at all. <laughs> After that meeting, went to his house. He said, I want to play a tape of an old speaker I think you should hear. He got sober when he was young. He had no cassette tapes back in the 60s. We had old reel-to-reel tapes. So I got in this man's house, sat on his sofa. He puts his tape on. It's a Friday night. His wife decides to give me some ice cream, put some jimmies on top of it. I hadn't eaten ice cream with jimmies on it. A long. You, when you drink, you don't eat ice cream. <laughs> Throw it up, it comes up in chunks. That's why you don't forward ice cream. So... And he's got this damn Siamese cat, and I'm just freshly getting sober. I watch this cat jump from a chair to a sofa to a chair. I'm trying to eat this ice cream and listen to this tape. I'm, I'm, I'm 23 years old. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be the worst thing I ever got myself involved in my whole life. I've got to get the hell out of this AA stuff, man. This ain't for me. I'll tell you what's neat about AA. We've got a lot of phonies in AA. A lot of phonies in AA. And they don't throw none of us out. We weed ourselves out of AA. If we don't shape up, baby, we're going to ship out. You don't have to run nobody out of here. It's a program. If you, you, know, you don't get honest and get sober and get your act together, you may hang around for a while, but eventually you ain't going to make it. If you do, you're going to be a miserable person the rest of your life. And that's not what this program is all about. And so they didn't throw me out. I used AA. Man, I went around and told everybody I was in AA. I told my mother, and God, she got a tear in her eye and started coming down her cheek, and my wife's happy, and... Bill collectors are excited. My boss says, guys, you're going to work a full day. You're not going to miss time and leave early and come in late and do a job. And the landlord said, hell, I'll get some rent. And I mean, everybody's excited about me being in A because I told them all. Everybody but one person. Me. Man, I don't want to be in AA. I got the heat off, though. And so I would go to meetings to sort of fortify myself, remind myself I'm an alcoholic. I can't drink. And then I leave the meetings, and I go out and play all the games that drunks play. 
I still like to hang on the atmosphere. I like to hang on to the girls and the dancing and the hustling, the fighting, the arguing, the bullcrapping. I, I, I didn't want to let go of it. See, you can't hold on and let go at the same time. I'm trying to hold on to AA and let go of AA and hold on to drink and let go of drink at the same time. You can't, you got to do one or the other. You can't do them both. And so because I associate with drinking people and drinking places, doing drinking things after coming to AA, I drank. And the same thing happens when I drank that time. It always happens. I got drunk. I drank for effect, man. I don't want to drink just to get a little buzz on and feel just a little. I want, I, I want something to happen. If it ain't going to happen, I'm going to make it happen. I'm an action drunk. I want some action. And so, I, same thing happened. I always did. I always got drunk, got in trouble. I come off of a drunk after associating with these people. I drank again after coming to AA. And see, I didn't know if you drank after you come to AA, you could come back to AA. I thought you were sort of excommunicated out of AA or something. You can't come back no more. Once you, you've broken that, that promise you're going to not drink no more, you can't come back. I didn't know you could keep coming back. And a friend of mine said, no, you can go back. And I called my old first sponsor up, and I told Larry, I said, Larry, I said, uh, I got, he said, well, come on back. And I went back to AA. And the first thing I did, I told him, was I was sorry I let him down. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, stop right there. He said, look, I'm twice your age. I'm an old man. You're only 23. He said, you go in the men's room. Got a nice big mirror in there. You take a good look at Stu, come and take a good look at Larry and see who let who down around here. He said, I guarantee you, I'm older than you, but I feel better and look better than you do tonight. You didn't let me down when you took a drink. You let yourself down. He said, I tell you what, you want to stay sober, I'll go to hell for you. I'll do anything to help you stay sober within reason. You want to drink, you're going to have to go to hell all by yourself. I'm not going with you. Now, they told me AA may not open the doors of heaven and let you in, but it sure will open the doors of hell and let you out. And if you drank like an alcoholic, you know what hell is all about. A long story short, I drank for about two more years where I finally got back to AA. Those two years, anything that happened is still between me and the drink. I had to go sooner or later. I'd been out of AA about six months. I didn't come in and out. I just went out and I stayed out for almost two years. Then I came back. But I was gone for about six or seven months after coming to AA, drinking. And I'm going to share with you my observation of what happened to me that I see happening to almost every other drunk I see in AA who comes to AA, gets a little sobriety, and goes out and takes a drink. I don't see successful things happen to these people. Okay? I don't, I've never heard a drunk in AA who come, came here and got a little bit of sobriety, go out and take a drink, come back, and tell me a success story. Okay? They usually say, Jesus, it was bad the last time. Let me tell you what happened this time. See, our drinking, if we're an alcoholic, gets worse and worse. It never gets better. You think it's bad now? You think you've had a, you think you've hit a bottom? You think it's terrible? Take another drink. You ain't seen nothing yet. You jump a couple times, you drink, you're going to find a new bottom. If you've never been in jail, you'll make them. Just be patient. Barbara Corn's patient. He'll get you. Just be patient. It's out there waiting. Seven months after I went back to drinking, I put myself in a situation. I was living in one of these abandoned homes. I went crazy one night from drinking. I was six foot two. I weighed 265 pounds. I got drunk and really drunk. I ran my fist through all the windows in the house, the walls in the house. I tried to put my head through a concrete porch. I busted myself up. And I came out of this thing with my father, 
my ex-father-in-law and a police officer sitting on top of me. I was in the county, and they would hold me down because I'd gone just crazy from drinking. Found myself in a hospital that night in Annapolis, Maryland. They were sewing my wrist all up. Anytime I get cocky, all I do is just, you talk about picking up a drink. All I could do is pick up a drink and look, and I got scars all around here where they went through the windows, got cut up. They were sewing me all up and sewing my head up. And I remember these two doctors saying, you know, we got to get this guy out of society because if he doesn't kill himself, he's going to kill somebody else. I'm 24 years old. I won't live to drink 30 years the way I'm going. The next day, I was sitting in my doctor's office. My mother's there, my wife, my, my father, and we're sitting there. And the doctor said, Stu, you, got, you can't you stop drinking. It's your drinking. I said, no, I want to drink now. <laughs> See? He said, fine, we're going to have to do something with you. They, and there was no treatment centers back in the 60s, no detoxes. So when you went crazy like that, they just put you in a nut house. So they put me in a nut house, put me in Crownsville State Hospital in a locked ward. I spent six weeks in there. And, you know, it's a regular route. There's nothing about recovery or AA in there. You make little ashtrays out of ceramic stones, and <laughs> you make little belts and little wallets and little things like this. And then they said, one, one day, one of the doctors come in and said, we're going to try a new therapy. Let's try dancing. I don't like to dance. I'm not a real bad dancer. I mean, I don't know all these modern dancers. I used to dance a lot when I was younger. Jitterbugging out there. And, and um, so they take all those nut guys out of one ward, all the nut girls out of another ward. They put us in a hall like here. They put on some music. They said, now go ahead and dance. I don't like to dance. I got my wrist all taped up. My head's all taped up. I see a nice looking girl. I asked her to dance. I'm out there dancing around with her, you know, and... And she said, you, you tried to commit suicide, didn't you? That's why you're here. I said, no, 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 no. She said, yes, you did. Look at your wrist and everything. I said, no. I said, crazy. They think I'm an alcoholic. I said, I don't think so. I said, what the hell are you in here for? She said, I killed my husband. <laughs> I, might be, I might be a nuthouse, but I'm not that stupid, okay? I, first thing I said, excuse me, I got to get me a new dance partner right now. Okay? And we tried all kinds of things. Nothing. The day I got out of there, I got drunk. I got drunk leaving the place. And I had a drink for, I guess, another 15 months before I finally got back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Came back to A March of 12, 1966, because I don't know where else to go. And when I came back, no one put me down. No one said, well, look who it is. The old punk drunk's back again. All they said was, welcome back. It's good to see you. You need a ride home tonight? And that's where it all began for me. Appreciate having the chance to tell my story tonight. Remind me where I came from. Life's gotten very good for me. I don't want to forget where I came from. He for he or she who gets where they come from is soon returned to it. Maybe keeps you green, keeps you on your toes. Found out the very first thing I had to do to get sober. Now this is a tough one. If you can't remember it, write it down. You got to stop drinking. Stopping drinking is going to be the biggest and most important thing you're going to do in your sobriety. I don't care where you go. You can get Mr. Miss AA for a sponsor. You can join the group. You can come to meetings holding a big book under one arm and dozen donuts under the other. You know? You can sit up front and listen. Stop drinking, baby. You ain't gonna get it. You gotta stop drinking. That's the most important thing you're gonna do in AA. A lot of us miss that. We can think about so many other things. We miss the most important thing. Don't drink. They said, if your tail falls off, don't drink. Pick it up, bring it to the meat, we'll screw it back on you. Don't drink. I don't care what happens. Don't drink. 
And every time they said, don't drink, it's like a big wedge going to my head. And it got through my thick, empty skull. And it got down to my guts. Because, see, I've seen times in my sobriety. When, let's face it, one drink for us is too many. We never get enough. Drink. I didn't know his first drink that got me drunk till come day yet. I swear I thought it was the third six-pack, the 17th drink, the second fit. It's some magic number. I was at a meet one night and I heard a guy say, first drink always got me drunk. I hit my sponsor. He was, he was another waterfront guy. He's doing it here with us tough guys, man. It took us 17 drinks, two fists. He's getting drunk on one drink. Can you imagine getting drunk on one drink? Since the first drink, Ed gets him drunk. I'm getting the benefit of doubt. I said, maybe the damn guy's drinking out of a jug, a, a, a gallon glass or something. How do you get drunk on one drink? And I started hearing some other guys saying it's the first drink that got him drunk. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. I'm not educated. but Sponsors have a way of educating us. And he said, after the meeting, I'll explain that first drink. It's fine. But it don't make sense. He's a damn sister. I don't want to fool around with him. So we go to his house after the meeting. Going back, and he had a wood shop. And one of the things he had was a great big saw, a hand Had a big, sharp, round blade on it. He picked that saw up and said, Kill. I turned that baby on, round, and I bang you in your rear end. You're going to pick up. He said, the first one. And he goes back, if you don't take the first drink, you can't take the 17th, the third, second, fifth. It's the first. You don't start drinking, you ain't got to stop drinking. You don't get the hell in the bottle, you ain't got to wonder how to get out of it. Don't start it, you ain't got to stop it. So you learn to stay away from one drink at a time. That's simple. I think most of us can grasp that, if we're not too sick. And so I just kept postponing that first drink. And then I heard another guy say, now they were talking about doing a day at a time, but here they're talking about 25 years old. Hell, suppose I live to be 75. 50 years without a drink. How in the hell am I going to stay sober 50 years? I came in March, you know, worried about Memorial Day. <laughs> this guy's getting ready to have 10, hour, 10 years for an anniversary. I'm, I'm, I'm in a about a week or so, and I'm worried about Memorial Day. And then I got to worry about Easter and the 4th of July and Labor Day and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New... How the hell am I going to stay sober during these holidays? My sponsor, I'll tell you how you stay sober during holidays. Don't drink. <laughs> Don't drink. That's how you stay sober during holidays. Stick close to AA. And so now i got two good things going for me I never knew before. I thought I was a pretty smart guy with limited education. But I didn't know you didn't take the first drink, you couldn't get... I mean, it's easier to pick up one chair in this room and carry them to the back room than try to pick them all up at one time and carry them to the back of the room. So we keep it... And finally, I started coming to meetings. And no one said go to 90 meetings in 90 days. They said, you go to meetings till we tell you don't go to meetings. Because, hell, if I did 90 meetings in 90 days, my ninth first day, I'd probably go get drunk celebrating how good I was for 90 days. He said, you go till we tell you don't go. Three years go by. Three years. Every day I went to a meeting. And there weren't a lot of meetings back. Sometimes you had to go 25, 30 miles. I said, I don't have a car. How am I going to go? He said, you don't need a car to get drunk. You don't need a car to get sober. Just go to me. You get there, we'll get you home. Meeting makers make it. You got to go to meetings. It's hard enough going to meetings, staying sober. Don't try to stay sober, not going to meetings. I never forget I was in a short time. Football season's here. And I remember one night, back in the 60s, we had the Baltimore Colts before the East. And we had a great quarterback called Johnny United, TV. Told my sponsor, I'm going to stay and watch the Colt game tonight. He said, I suggest you go to AA. Long. I said, I want to watch the Colt game. He said, go to AA. I said, I'm going to watch that Colt game. He said, fine. You get up late 3 o'clock in the morning. Call Johnny United. Don't call me. 
I said, I'll see you at the meeting, Ed. So I just went to meetings. I went to meetings. I was in a meeting one night, and someone says, anybody got any questions? I do. They said, what's your question? I said, why me? I don't want to be an alcoholic. I'd rather be a prize fighter, a doctor, a lawyer. But why me? I don't want to be an alcoholic. And he said, well, why not you? And I didn't talk about that. And so they took my tail and banged it from one end of the table to the other. And we had a guy at that meeting named Jay Miller. God bless him, he died for him. And at the meeting, Jay comes up to me and says, Stu, let me tell you something. He said, take a good look at my face. And Jay had a, a very distorted-looking face. And part of his face had been removed. Cancer. Some people get cancer, and they can be treated with radiant treatment and cobalt and operations and medication, and, and they can get well and, and live a long, very productive life. I got the kind of cancer that's incurable. We're, we're treating it with radiation right now. He said, but this disease has made And you got a disease. All you got to do is stop drinking and start living. Thank God you got alcoholism, not cancer. You got to have a disease. You got a disease, you got a place to go. You got people understand you. I was in a meeting one night, talking about people understanding you. I was in a meeting one night in the back of a meeting in AA, and I saw that same sign in the nut house. It says, We're all here because we ain't all there. And I could relate to that. So I started going to meetings, got active in AA. I was in AA about a week. I was in AA about a week. And a new man walked through the door. A new man. I said, you got to be kidding me. Me talk to a new man? i got seven days. you got two years. You go talk to him. What the hell am I going to tell him? He said, tell him about your seven days. He don't have seven days. He said, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson's co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He didn't wait to have two years to go see Dr. Bob. He just started working with drunks. Yeah, okay, but it worked. You got to give it away to keep it. I said, Ed, but I'm still shaking a lot. I had to shake when I got sober. See a new man with half a cup of coffee, I can relate to you. I shook a lot. I thought maybe I could just smoke a little whack of weed or something, calm these shakes down, I'd be okay. <laughs> We're talking about sobriety for you. We're talking about total absence. No booze, no mind, mood, altering drugs, period. No wacky weed, no little pills, no little light wine, no little near beer. We're talking about nothing. You may not deal with a full damn deck, but you're going to deal with a clean deck. Okay? <laughs> and he said, not only that, he said, in all my life, I've never heard of a guy who died and they put, he shook to death on his death certificate. <laughs> Shaking ain't going to kill you. You shake too bad, he said, put one hand under this cheek and one this, and he said, you won't fall out of your chair, I guarantee you. Shaking ain't going to hurt you. You start thinking about a drink, think about your shaking. The simple thing. I was around A for a short while, then I heard him talk about the steps. I don't want to hear about the steps. I want to talk about drinking and not drinking. They said, that's fine. But you can't always... See, it's easy to stay sober in an AA meeting. Most of the time, you're not offered a drink. Okay? <laughs> you're usually with your own kind of people. It's usually safe and secure there. It's usually upbeat and positive. I've been to some of these look like funeral parlors, but not, not a lot of them. Some meetings you go, I love this kind of group because it's enthusiastic. I walk in some meetings, I'm looking for a dead body. I feel like I'm walking in a moor there. So we're happy, you know what I mean? I, I, I love excitement. So I, I would just go to that. And so I, I kept hearing about the steps. He said, you can't always be in a meeting. I said, well, when should I start working the steps? He said, when do you want to start getting well? A is more than just a not drink program. It's called a way of life, the 12 steps. 
I said, well, how many steps should I work? He said, how many steps away from a drink do you want to be? You want to be two steps away from a drink tonight or you want to be 12 steps away from a drink tonight? If it's late, he said, you're going to have to put the, you're going to have to put the steps in your life. You, won't, you can't always be with your sponsor. You can't always be with the, with the meetings. You can't be with these, these conventions and retreats. Some days you're going to be out there all by yourself. And if you don't have a program going for you, you're probably going to drink. Find a higher power with these steps. you got God in his hand and AA in his hand. It's hard to pick up a drink. You do the possible, he'll do the impossible. He said, look at your watch. You wake up 3 o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep. He said, think of the third step. It's 6 o'clock, think of the sixth step. 9 o'clock, think of the ninth step. There's 12 numbers on your damn watch, if you get, unless you've got a digital job. He said, think, think of the times, think of the steps. And you don't have to memorize them, and you don't have to become knowledgeable about them. You have to use them, put them into action. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. I was walking around the meetings for a long time like this with a big book on my arm. He said, what do you got? I said, I want a big book and a raffle. He said, big deal. It's important. Your life is going to be dependent upon that big book. Your, your stories are in there. Your re recovery's in there. Your answers are in that book. It's called a text, something to be studied. But right now, you put it down. You're too stupid. You're too, you're too foggy to comprehend what the hell you're reading. You go to meetings and talk with drunks and listen. Then you can finally get into the book. He said, open it up, read me a paragraph. Open up, I start reading. He said, what did he say? I said, I don't know. Go to meetings and listen. Listen. Go to meetings and listen. Then when we can get into it, then we can understand. Right now, you're so foggy, you just time. time it takes time to get sick. Give yourself some time to get well. We want instant sobriety. Hell, you turn on TV, advertisers on instant pudding, instant jello. We want instant recovery. We want instant sobriety. We want 10 years now. He said, you'll get 10 years in 10 years. Right now, you worry about staying sober. Go to me. Put those steps in your life. Learn to bend your knees before you bend your arms. Ask the power of radiance. If you don't have a God, he said, borrow mine. He's big enough. I don't care what it is for you, but you got to find it. I choose to call God today. It's good orderly garage. I was in a, I guess, about uh, seven months, and I had the privilege of going to New York, living on the East Coast. I lived about 200. It's Bill Wilson's anniversary, 1970. Four of the guys said, we're going to New York to meet Bill Wilson here. We suggest you go with us. Now, I didn't know no more about Bill Wilson than I do Joe Blow. I said, why do we need to go to New York? I said, we got guys here. They said, just do what we tell you. And we want you to dress up when you go to see Bill Wilson. And I didn't have a suit. Went down to pawn suit, a pawn shop, bought an old suit for twenty dollars. Brown wool suit. I don't know about you guys ever wore a brown wool suit, but you itch, <laughs> and you get chapped. So I go to New York. I meet Bill Wilson. He tells a story. And while I'm in New York, I meet these other guys from Boston, and they said, "How's your young people's meeting going?" In? They said, "I suggest you go back and get one started." And I went back, and I met two other young guys. They had a time, and from there. That helped me to get active and got involved in AA. And from there, we went to Washington and helped them start a young people's meeting. We went to Delaware. We went down to Southern Maryland. And we just got active. I started going to young people's conventions, working with young people. And I found out by working with them, you see, the key to getting sober is, is, is to try and pass on, working with new people. That's the key to sobriety. Not to lay back and rest on your laurels. I'll tell you why. See, I would say things in meeting like, easy does it, first things first. You're know, like a damn monobird. Heard someone else say it, so I'm going to say it, because they said, Ed really sounds good, so I'm going to start being like Ed. And I'm saying things Ed said, and they said, that really sounds good still. I don't even know what I'm saying. But when you work with a new guy, and you tell him first things first, he says, what's that mean? 
Oh, God, now i got to figure out what the hell does it mean? And they say, well, you got to take those steps. How do you take those steps? Oh, let's go over them. And the process of working with them, I work with a lot of young drunks. I mean a lot of drunks. Every, every drunk that came in, they dump them on me. I had 12-step drunks even when I didn't have a car. I took them to meetings. Sometimes I pick them up and get them on a bus, and we had to transfer three times to get to a meeting. Transfer three times. I worked with one drunk. I lived in a suburban area of Baltimore, and I went in Baltimore, picked this drunk up, and we took three buses to the meeting, three back. I did it for nine days. The tenth day, I showed me drunk. I mean, how could he do that to me? I'm, I'm catching six buses a night to keep this sucker sober, and he's get, he get drunk. And I come back, I told my friends, I said, that drunk. They said, yeah, but he kept you sober the last nine days. My third anniversary in Alcoholics Anonymous. I used to go to meetings and watch these guys come in, and I knew they didn't, they didn't have half the stuff on the ball that I had. They didn't work with drunks like me. And they weren't even helping these drunks. They're sponsoring. The guys, their sponsors staying sober, and everybody I sponsor is getting drunk. My third year in AA, I must have sponsored 100 drunk and went a damn while I'm sober. But I was. And what I came to find out was I was trying to get them sober through the grace of instead of letting them get sober through the grace of God. And the minute I sort of stepped back and let them grow at their own pace, despite me, they started staying sober. You start taking credit for a man's sobriety. Had a lot of, had a lot, I've had a lot of nice things happen. I'm a rap. As I stayed sober, I went back to school and finished up my education. Went, worked my way out of the city. Bought a house. I bought a house in Savannah Park, Maryland. When I was a kid, community. A lot of little rich kids lived in there. We used to go and beat up all the little rich kids and run out of there. You know what I mean? We used to go in there and just, you know, they wore button-down collars and little shoes and how we got jeans on and leather jackets and DAs and. And now here I'm living in that neighborhood. I was in there, I lived in there about a week. I went to dinner one night. It was it's amazing, amazing what goes around. And here I am now, I'm living in this neighborhood. And the reason I'm living in there because I got involved in real estate, had a real estate license. And I was in the right place at the right time and I bought a nice house in there, way under the market. Watched my kids grow up. I've had my share of setbacks. I was sober up. I made a career change. I got into real estate in the early 80s. And that's when the market was really bad. But see, I'm always thinking, which is dangerous. I'm thinking, I get in that market, and I learn it, and when the market breaks, I'm going to make a lot of money. Well, anything went broke was me. A friend of mine said, you're a bramble goose. I said, what's a bramble goose? He said, you ever see a flock of geese in the winter? They're in a big V, and they're all going south. There's one dumb goose going north. Bramble goose. Everybody's getting out of real estate, and you're getting into it. So I went broke. I've been broke in sobriety. I made some big stakes in sobriety. Had a lot of money rolling in because of things on your business and things. By staying sober, being in the right place at the right time. But I made some bad deals and bad decisions. And I know what it is to be broke in AA. Sober like 11 years or so. Go to the store and look at the stakes. I'll get you next month. Go buy some liver or some chicken. You got to go speak across town. You can't go through the tunnel. Don't have a dollar. Pay my toll. Get drunk. Start all over again. That's all. You fall down. You pick yourself up and dust yourself off and start all over again. No matter how bad it is in Friday, still it can't be as bad as it was when we were drunk. Thought I had, they thought I had cancer. I was in the hospital. The love and support you get in recovery. Don't keep no secrets. You're going to get as well as the secrets you keep. I'm supposed to have two people in a the room. they got a coffee pot going on in there. They got a... <laughs> Nobody can get in the room. So today I go in, I'm in there, I'm going to go to surgery. Goes back up and tells my family, my friends, and everything. I can't believe it. The last thing we want to do... In fact, you give us two more days of praying, you wouldn't even have a cut on him. 
So I've gone through some major surgery, career changes, went through a divorce after being sober a long time in AA. I don't, and we handled it very peacefully. Our, our, our divorce cost us $50 in legal fees. We had to do something with all the furniture. We were keeping, she said, well, throw it in there. What stage you can have, what comes down on She was going down on a hell of a lot smarter than me, I guess. She got the inside, I got the outside. Wasn't a bad deal. So it ends up, you know, we got our divorce. We go through that. I didn't have to drink. I dove in AA. Got a lot of friends. The kids are very supportive of both. Never had a dog till I got sober. I want to name this dog Reba. After opera by Puccini. That's a long way for a guy who worked on a war. Going to the Marhoff and things like this guy's sober. I'm going to wrap it up and tell you what's going on in my world today. My wife and she, we, we, after being two years, because we neither one, we, we signed a volunteer separation agreement very peacefully. And she didn't want the house, so I bought the house. And so, you know, here I am, through my divorce, I just dove in AA, and I, and I was sponsoring a guy says, how old are you doing? When are you going to have some fun in your life? AA's more than a or something. Collect something. I said, what do you do? He's, he's like, I got a bigger house than you do. I got a better car than you do. And the things ever happened to me, I've never said, you know what? The harder you try to make something happen in recovery, the further away you're going to make. You got to let go and let God. Let it happen. If it's meant to be, it's going to be. He said, I'll teach you the business. Take you under my wing. And so we started trying. So I went out and I started on my spare time. These little old penny postcards, early 19. I now have 350. Two and a half years ago, I started working for you. This is the second time I had a suit on this year. Got rid of a suit and tie. Bought a van, got rid of my car. Got some coolers, tables, chairs. I ride around the country, just set up and do antique shows. I only work on weekends. Some days I work one day a week, two days. I ride down the road sometimes, I just smack myself. I say, I can't believe this is for real. I'm sober, I'm happy, I'm seeing the country. Last winter, I spent the, spent the uh, two months on the West Coast, Arizona, California, doing shows. Money went out there, I go where the money is. I go to West Coast and buy cheap for East Coast. Go to East Coast, buy cheap, and uh, just wheel and deal. But it's all legal and it's all fun. You ride down, you see the country. I got 91 van out there, got a hundred, it's only two and a half years old, got 101,000 miles on. I'm always on the road, I love it. People say, ain't you ever lonely? I say, hell no, I'm never lonely. I'm alone, but I'm never lonely. I ride down the road. I, I, I see the you get in the, in the Midwest. You go down through the get off the main highway, go through the Indian reservation, go through the canyons, see the country. No pressure, no stress. Girlfriend's very supportive of me. Doesn't get. I didn't think this could happen to a guy like me. The guy come off a waterfront. All I want to do is stop drinking. And so many nice things have happened to me. And the greatest thing, you know what? It keeps getting better. And you think it's good now? What happened? And even when you go through the difficult time. Through the grace of God, you're sober to can say that. You pick up tomorrow morning's paper and you read on the back where so-and-so died drunk in an auto accident. Or you go to a meeting and someone said, well, you, you plug into that higher power and you just, you, just do the, you just do the possible. He'll take it. Don't expect a hell of a lot. And then when you get things nice happen to you, you don't have to maybe help one person in this room tonight. I don't get a chance to do this that often anymore. I talk together. I go to a meeting sometime. I wonder what a sponsor, a speaker's going to say. I say, I don't know what the hell is going to come out of my mouth. There's three talks you're giving AA, you know. The one you plan on giving, when you sit in that chair there, the one you give, when you sit down, the one you wish probably would have gave. But it's the message of the heart. And sometimes if you can't hear it or understand it, I, when I go to meetings, I can feel it. I, there's a lot of love in this room tonight. There's a lot. Be kind of these old-timers, though. Because you stay so long enough, you're going to be an old-timer. And what goes around comes around. I asked my sponsor, I said, what the hell is an old-timer in AA? He said, anybody sober? That's what an old-timer is in AA. Enjoy this. Let it take you to the 50 dimension.